Welcome to the 12 Days of Podcasts. This series of 12 perfect episodes is brought to you by the good people at Def Jam. Last night, December 15th, Jeezy dropped his new album, Pressure, and maybe you heard it, but you definitely haven't heard me talk about it enough. You might be wondering, what's the song you want to hear out at the club, Jeff? I'd say, track five, this is it. It is low-key and hypnotic. I would play it everywhere. The club, the grocery store, those are the only two places I go. You can't ban the snowman, but you can buy the album at jeezyshop.com. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. 12 days of podcast. This is day number... Four. Okay, so we did the Q&A episode yeah. for episode 150. We followed that up with the year-end review of music that was with Rembert and Naomi and Phil and Scotty Beam and Jinx. And then we followed that up with Upscale, Upscale Vandal, Vandal. Yeah. right? And today... Today in the podcast, we have Carly Hustle. But before we get to that, oh, I did want to mention... yeah. That if people didn't hear yesterday, the big news is we are coming back to New York City, Jeff. We're here, but we're coming back to New York City. We are going to be on stage doing a live podcast on January 10th, 2018 at SOB's. Jeff, we've sold out venues in New York. Yes. In London. I remember. We went to Los Angeles and packed the room. We have done a lot of great shows. Guys, if you haven't seen us live, you are really missing out. So here's your chance, especially if you're in any of the boroughs of New York City. We're talking Bronx. Oh, yeah? We're talking Brooklyn. We're talking Staten Island. Where else? We're talking Queens. Uh What? We're talking about... What am I missing? Manhattan? Manhattan. That's too far. If you guys are anywhere in the general vicinity, you know what? If you're out of town, fly in for the show. It's going to be a dope show filled with comedy, music, and storytelling. Guys, you do not want to miss this. Tickets are available right now at itstherial.com. Get your tickets before they sell out. And now, Jeff. Oh, yeah? Who's on the podcast? Today on the podcast, we have radio veteran and host of the Brutally Honest podcast, Carly Hustle. Yes, Carly, who is originally from Eugene, Oregon. We talk about her early jobs at Kinko's and Applebee's, escaping to Portland after sort of going to college, and how she found the attention of Ebro Darden, you know, Ebro in the morning over at Hot 97. She talks about going up and down, well, mostly just down the West Coast, yes. down to Salinas, beautiful Salinas, California, right. then San Diego, then Phoenix, right, and then finally making her way over to Hot 97. Yeah, we talk about Funkmaster Flex, we talk about Angie Martinez, we talk about Summer Jam, we talk about programming the Who's Next stage. Her work with Rhapsody and Ninth Wonder. Oh, man. We talk about Apple, we talk about... Kendrick Lamar, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. We talk about a lot of stuff. Carly is a great personality. She is a great mind, and we were thrilled to finally have her on the podcast. I mean, we just want her on the podcast so we can get her daughter on the podcast. She's a star. Shout out to Harp. Jeff, when do you want to get into this? Uh, right after I say who's on the podcast tomorrow. Who is on the podcast tomorrow? Because this is a never-ending series <laughs> of podcasts, the 12 Days of Podcasts. We have Fafu, Fafu Faflin. He's got stories about Prince. Well, you know, people may have heard him on our podcast right after Prince died. We talked to Fafu for about a half an hour about programming drums with Prince, going out on tour with Prince, being at Paisley Park talking about Minneapolis to, you know, the nth degree. He's on the podcast. He's talking about Puff Daddy. He's talking about the Blue Man Group. He's talking about just a whole, like, Fafu is 
Our Forest Gump. So this is tomorrow's episode. Yes. Today on the episode, Carly Hustle. Yep. Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Fafu. Fafu. And then there's an interminable amount (laughs) of other episodes coming up. But Jeff. Yes. When do you want to get into this one? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Marty McFly, Doc Brown, and Biff Tannen, a.k.a. Future Hive. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Embrace the Hate, a.k.a. Hug the Block. Yo, what up? It's me, Carly (laughs) Hustle, a.k.a. Carly Hustle. (laughs) I just have the one name. <laughs> yeah, this is a waste of time, but it's the real. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> See, your name is so nice that you say it twice. That's right. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's necessary. It's sort of like New York, New York. That's yes. right. Carly, right? welcome to the Upper West Side. Thank you so much. I don't spend a lot of time in this area because I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also, I, why would you ever come up here? Exactly. It's so far. If you live in Brooklyn, this is like, I'm surprised we're friends, yeah. to, to be honest, because you guys live far. Yeah, but we really do. We always converge like somewhere in the lower Manhattan area. Which is like a good middle ground. Or just on Twitter. Yeah. We don't have to talk anywhere except for Twitter. It goes down in the DMs from time to time. How many different places have you lived in New York City? I've lived in six apartments. Whoa. Yeah. Name their addresses. (laughs) I don't remember. But they were all in Brooklyn. So we've never moved, right? Like we moved the one time into this apartment and then I've stayed here since then. I think that's the smart way to do it because that way your rent doesn't go up every single time. Agreed. And as the rents go up, like this apartment is probably like a dollar apartment. That is the nicest Look at thing you. anybody yeah. has ever said. Well, in 2017. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe a few years ago it would have been like maybe a dollar. Where are we going? Uh, it started off like an average thing and then they went they cut it by um a third a third out of nowhere just because they were benevolent people they were what? like we don't want to lose well, people who pay think. rent we, yeah we don't time. know what it was so like just out of nowhere they were like hey by the way your rent is and then that's why we've never been able to leave like or never would leave yeah for now <laughs> stay here but is I'm moving to die in this apartment <laughs> is is moving the worst experience in new york city it's not particularly fun but i've actually moved probably 20 times in my life Oh and I've God. also lived in six cities. That's a lot. Yeah. So it's That's just moving as a part of my life. soul. I'm kind of nomadic. <laughs> wow. Well, where are you originally from? So I'm originally from Eugene, Oregon. Right. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. Born um, to run. It would be terrible um, if there wasn't the University of Oregon, mm-hmm. which kind of brings a bit of a pulse. And of course, the Ducks. Yes. Right. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. Yeah. You say that with such conviction. Well. Do you hate Oregon State? Yes. <laughs> I was I just, it's in your blood when you're born in Eugene that you have to hate Oregon State right. and you have to hate the whole town of Salem and I think people who live in Salem hate Salem oh so my God. I think that's fine Eugene is like the much cooler version of a small town yeah it's sort of akin to like an Austin or let's say a Tucson like just so a nice bustling it's college sort of town like a, an artsy sort of place yes whereas if you go 15 minutes outside the city do not yeah, <laughs> yeah. do not yeah you don't want to do that you definitely want to stay out of eastern Oregon um just generally speaking. What is in Eastern Oregon? Uh, neo-Nazis. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, where, that's where they've gone. So that's where I avoid. And tumbleweeds, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so and do they... Casseroles. <laughs> a lot of casseroles with the, the... You know neo-Nazis just love casseroles. The, yeah, the... Um, what do you call it? Uh, cornflakes on top. It's a crunchy topping. Yeah. <laughs> it's a regional thing. Yeah. Growing up there, is there a sense that townies are like the lowest level of people what do you mean lower than neo-nazis not lower than neo-nazis that's in east oregon jeff i'm talking about i'm talking about eugene in eugene 
townies. Yeah, like people, what is a townie? Townies people are people who, who stay who, who, who grow, grow up in there. Eugene and then stay in Eugene. Not well, I mean, I guess not specifically Eugene. It's wherever the town is. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people did stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't look down on them for staying. Okay. Well, why I, do you look down on them? I <laughs> I look down on them because a lot of people made some bad decisions because they live in small towns and what else are you supposed to do? So sure. I don't really look down on them. I understand it, but I just didn't want to become one of those people. Right. I do think that like, so I went to Syracuse and I think like a lot of out of towners come to Syracuse and they're just like, oh, the people from Syracuse, like we're only here for four years or whatever. I see where you're going. Yes. So... And I think, like looking back at that, it's not, it's not right. You don't know what you're like born like into right. your city. Um, did you did you grow up thinking that you were going to go to the University of Oregon? I did for a couple of terms, actually. Physically oh, you did? go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it was sort of a goal to do that because it's a pretty prestigious university, especially mm-hmm. because of the football team. And if there wasn't the football team, you'd really be screwed. Um, and actually, their basketball, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. I sort of lost track. I haven't lived there in a long time. But yeah, I think the expectation was that I would you know, graduate high school from South Eugene, which I did, and then go to the University of Oregon, which I did, and then I didn't. Well, well what are your interests at that point? Like, growing up, like, what are you into? Bob Marley, you know. Um, How much did you smoke? Like, all of it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, when you're born in Oregon, you're pretty much born with a joint in your hand or a bong. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, sure, because you are, you are a white. Yes. Or an apple. <laughs> yeah. Because you can actually, you know, you can carve out an apple and create a pipe For out sure, of it. For sure, yeah. Or a mm-hmm. carrot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, these are all things that I have smoked out of before. Um, I first smoked weed when I was 11. Wow. It's very early. We basically discovered some weed in a friend's dad's freezer mm-hmm. and got experimental. It wasn't like oregano. Like, that's like actual <laughs> weed. No, it was yeah. definitely weed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, was it, a big time smoker. Was it good weed? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never smoked any kind of swag. <laughs> we don't do the Reggie. Okay? <laughs> We're classy over there. In what was going Oregon. through your mind as an 11 year old who was instantly high? I was like, this is pretty cool. I understand why people do it. Um, I just kept doing it because everybody else was doing it. Right. It was just very socially acceptable. It mm-hmm. was never condemned, never looked down upon. Right. It was just a part of the hippie culture. And was that something where it was a one-time thing at 11 or and that you like revisited in high school or was it just consistent? No, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, I think... Always from your friend's father's freezer. Not always. (laughs) Then you start to kind of break away, and then friends have it, and then you can buy it from other people, and, you know, you find your guy or your girl, Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, in a consistent supply. You have a stash. Yeah. So I smoked weed, like, all the way through high school, some of college, but I don't anymore. Are you high right now? No. (laughs) I don't smoke anymore. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I sort of went through the phase, a long phase, and then, and then now, now I, that it's legal, it's like not that exciting. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not exciting when it's like you're not, you know, when you're allowed to do something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, like you're allowed to be on our podcast now. <laughs> I'm like, you're wow, like, what a drag. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was what was fourteen year old, fifteen year old Carly like? Uh, well, that would be what freshman sophomore mm-hmm. year. Yep. Um, so I was a bit of a outcast I would say I was friends with everybody but I didn't really have a core circle um, I had singular friends in different circles but I never ran with one crew um, and so I think that made me slightly awkward 
I mean, as 14-year-olds are. Yeah. 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 I had a mustache, you know. I went through the puberty mustache where mm. you have to, like, wax it off. I don't get it anymore. I don't have to wax it anymore. It just it was part of the puberty. People can't see you, <laughs> yeah. but Carly right now is sporting a full-on <laughs> Tom Selleck. Right. <laughs> so no more weed and no more mustache. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I had really bad acne. Um, it was cystic acne. It's like a skin condition. It's not just regular, you know, puberty pimples. Mm-hmm. And that started to develop in middle school and then got really bad in high school. It started on one cheek and then happened on the other cheek. I think that was like a huge nightmare for me because I was like traumatized. Yeah, you thought that it was like, you know, just the one cheek and then your other one started to just want to fit in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was was so bad that I couldn't sleep on the sides of my face. Oh, it's actually bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a real skin condition. It hurt so awful. It was awful. And it wasn't until I was maybe uh, 19 or 20, I was working at Kinko's, and this guy came up to me. He was like, my son has acne like you. I was like, oh, here we go again. Somebody's always trying to, like, give me a holistic cure or whatever. He's like, I I don't want to be rude, but there's this new thing out. It's called Accutane. You should try it. So, of course. And you said, fuck you. I felt bad because I was like, he noticed it. But then I went and I tried it and it cleared it up. And yeah. so it's amazing. I've been acne free ever since. However, now there's like a class action lawsuit against Accutane. Right. So um, I used Accutane as well and it worked for me. Um, there are people out there who it did the opposite for. <laughs> what? I don't know what happens I when think, you take it, but I, I didn't have any problems. Yeah, I think it drove people nuts. Oh, really? Yes. Is Wait, that like the a, reason why? It was like an insidious like sort of. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I guess that explains some things. (laughs) I thought I wasn't affected. (laughs) Um, What was your first job? My first job. I worked at Kinko's. That was my first job. What were you doing for them? I was 15 years old, and they had a little coffee bar inside the Kinko's at uh, the Eugene University of Oregon campus. So I started working in the coffee bar. I was the youngest Kinko's employee. Shout out to you. And then I was doing so good at that. That they were like, you know what, you're sharp. Let's have you just start taking orders and, you know, laminating things and copying you laminate? They did. (laughs) I was really good at it. So I became like a regular non-coffee bar employee. And then I worked at Kinko's for quite some years. Were you the manager? I was never the manager. The manager, though, was always hungover and would come in Sunday mornings, like, puking her guts out. Oh, God. She definitely had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. So, me, I was, like, 15, 16, held you down You didn't the have fort. a drinking problem. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Luckily. Yeah. So, I covered for her. I covered for a lot of alcoholics in my life. But, you know, maybe this isn't the podcast for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's salute the woman for showing up to work in the first place and then puking her guts she out. She had right? the keys. So, you know, in order to keep her job in some capacity, she had to show up. So, um, so you're working at Kinko's all through your time in college, too? Uh, for part of it, and then I started working at another coffee shop. Worked there called Coffee People. Mm-hmm. Uh, no longer exists. And then I started working at Applebee's. Really? I was a hostess. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Your local bar and grill. We have two signature items, <laughs> the riblets and the oriental chicken salad. <laughs> you can get the chicken grilled or you can get it fried. Were you a good waitress? Hostess, Host- I'm hostess. Sorry. Oh my god! Yeah. No, I was my a hostess, goodness. but of course I excelled at that, so <laughs> I became a waitress. Wait, hostess is the is the low man on the totem pole? 
Yeah, because you're the one that just seats people. It's not that much fun. Well, <laughs> you don't get real tips. That is true. Yeah. Did you split your tips with the... Um, of course. The back? Yeah. 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 Always. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that's why I tip 20% no matter how bad I'm treated, no matter where I go. It's because I used to wait tables, so I know And even that before life. that, you were a hostess. That's right. Yeah. Well, okay. What happens when you have really shitty service and you want to let them know? I don't. I just, you just accept keep it, it. Inside. Yeah, I'll. If you serve me a plate of food with hair in it, I'm probably just going to move the hair over and keep eating. Really? Yeah. Oh no. A bug. It's like, well, if it's you know, maybe it's extra protein. If you can scoot it over. <laughs> wow, you're so optimistic. <laughs> yeah. It's because I know the service industry, and like sometimes there's going to be a gnat or a hair, and uh, I think that there's probably worse food like stuff in the cans that we eat or the boxes we just don't know we're not paying attention we just assume that it's sanitized so we shovel it in our mouths is this what you said at the hostess stand <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly wait at applebee's you're not a, they don't sing the birthday song they sing like a, a different version of the birthday song yeah mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember what it was but this i was still smoking at that time. <laughs> On the job um, but i do know that we had a little intercom mm-hmm. and so when it was somebody's birthday you would need to call all of the servers and everybody over. Oh, my God. So you would pick up the intercom and say, all apples to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> all apples to the tree. And I loved doing that so much, you guys. It was like the most amazing thing. Um, what was the uh, most unique experience in terms of somebody coming in that you knew and mm. had to see? Somebody that I knew? Yes. Well, there was this guy, Wesley, that came in and he hit on me first and then my the other server walked by his table and he also hit on her oh. and so oh. we he was hitting on all the apples equal opportunity all the yeah. apples <laughs> on the tree he was trying to take a bite yeah. <laughs> and so we figured out in the back that that was happening so mm. neither of us gave him our number and then a few weeks later he showed up with another girl and she had a brand new baby and it was his wesley just yeah. out here moving play on player <laughs> yeah he was. That was a pretty good time. Um, what did you major in while you were at college? I was in business, marketing, advertising. With the thought that you would go into advertising? I liked marketing, but I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was just taking the classes. And then I minored in black studies and women's studies. Mm-hmm. So I was just sort of all over the place taking classes that I liked and then trying to like jazz it up with some business. <laughs> yeah. How long did you last at the University of Oregon? Two terms. And so one one calendar year? No. Oh, two, two out oh, of three. Two, I see, I see. Yeah, two out of three because most people don't go in the summer, which is four. Right. Oh, and you had terms, not semesters. I guess, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And what led you to leave campus? I left because I moved to Portland. What was in Portland? Uh, A lot of white people. <laughs> more white people. Yeah. More coffee. More coffee. Fixie bikes. Another Definite, Applebee's. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And an, a Kinko's. So I went back to Kinko's. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Did you plan on staying at Kinko's for an extended period of time? I just wanted to be able to have a job as soon as I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of didn't for a window of time, and then I got back into Kinko's, luckily. What's they, the difference between me. Portland and Eugene? Portland is a bigger Eugene, slightly more diverse um which is saying something yeah yeah it is it's really white guys did you ride a bicycle i only did because i wrecked my car the first week that i moved there the first week yeah what a start yeah it was unfortunate it was raining it was dark i didn't know the roads the road like curved in in front of me and apparently somebody else had also 
run through the exact same curve because the signs were missing. You know how those there's like those yellow arrow signs that yeah. tell you to mm-hmm. like curve? They weren't gone. <laughs> and so I didn't see them. So well, that's I terrible. ran up into an embankment. And were you okay? Yeah. But the car was fine. not. Car so. not okay. Wow. Yeah. Also, I was broke, so. That sucks. So obviously like the circumstances were just like, hey, like I'm working at Kinko's, but did you have bigger you know fish to fry did you have bigger ambitions than that i don't think i knew what i wanted to do yet i think i was still a bit confused i knew that i liked music and that i wanted to be around music but i hadn't found a way to do that yet eventually i surmised that i would go work at a local record shop Mm -hmm. and so i worked at camelot music first that's dope and then i worked at sam goody okay and that's how i kind of like got into music releases, listening to music yeah, all day, all the time. Yeah, were there any, like, artists that were coming through to, like, do signings or... Not really. It wasn't... I mean, it's Portland, Oregon, so... <laughs> there were artists coming through to do shows. It's a big music city, for sure, but we didn't really have people doing signings. Gotcha. And, and what yeah. were the artists of that time? Um, Of that time, you would talk about, like, what is this, 99... So DMX. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say DMX, but also like the whole Master P No Limit every single week. Every single one? There was a... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm no, saying every single week there was a new... Release. Yeah. No yeah. Limit release. Yeah. It was that era. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, because I was in the Pacific Northwest, there was a lot of focus on, say, E-40, mm-hmm. who's, you know, the ambassador of the Bay. Sure. Um, and Too Short. And Mac Dre and Mac Mall and Lunasic and a lot of these like Bay Area, like Sacramento rappers, X rated, like stuff that people probably outside of that area would have no idea about. So we were very regionally tied to the Bay Area in Northern California for a lot of our music. And what was... Souls of Mischief, that kind of thing. Yeah, and and so what were you doing on your off time? Like, were you going to shows? Were you traveling? I was. I was going to a lot of shows, showing up to every show that I possibly could. Um, Just Just to enjoy it or to, like, meet people or to see what the scene was like? To enjoy it, to meet people, to see what the scene was like, to find friends, to find community. Because I think I moved, you know, from a city to another city and didn't know anybody. And how far is it from Eugene to It's about two hours in Mm -hmm. the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was still like the big city. Comparatively, it was huge. So it was yeah. like a whole new world. Yeah. Um, so there was just tons of people to meet and tons of music to listen to. And it was a great opportunity to just get out of the town that I grew up in. And did you like Portland? I did. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. a really gorgeous city. It's beautiful. It's a city of bridges. It's tons of bridges. It has great views. Problem is it rains in Oregon in general. Um you know, like 300 days a year. At least it did before probably this massive global warning, war- global warming mm-hmm. um, that we're experiencing. It may not rain as much now, but at that time it was constantly raining. So, you know, it's it's an area where if it's 50 degrees outside, people are wearing shorts. Whoa. For sure. Yeah. So where do you go after Sam Goody? After Sam Goody, I, I think I worked at a Greek restaurant for a while um and then eventually i met ebro and Where? how did you meet ebro at the greek restaurant no <laughs> so i was still involved in the local hip-hop community this was about 2000 and we put on a hip-hop in the park community festival it mm. was free essentially we had 
local poets and local singers and rappers and they came out and performed and we also had community people that were tabling and like giving away free literature and so ebro at the time had hair he <laughs> did have hair i think he had dreads at this time yeah. still yeah, 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 yeah he hadn't cut them yet and so he was working doing the morning show um at GM 95.5. And uh, he was, you know, had the wherewithal to get involved in the community and heard about this hip hop in the park thing and wanted to like build with us. So he came to meet us. He, and well, he came to link with you. He and did. then he came to build. Exactly. Yeah. He linked first and then he built. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, proper. Yeah. I mean, at the time we were still figuring it out, but now <laughs> that's the order of things. <laughs> So it was great. He came and he was like, how can I help you guys? Can I help you guys get some artists up here? We will, you know, have a couple folks come up from Sacramento. And so he did. I think one of the groups was called The Cuff. I can't remember who the other groups were. Wait, was it raining this day? It actually wasn't really raining this day, but it was a covered... God was looking after all. Yeah, it was a covered Mm. structure. Oh, okay. So it didn't even matter. It didn't. So Ebro gave me an opportunity from that point, um, seeing me kind of put together this Hip Hop in the Park event. I said, hey, I'm going to get you on my street team. He had his own street team at the time. Then I got on at the radio station that he was working at. So that's how I got into the radio game in like 2001. You jamming 94.5, you say? Jamming 95.5. 95.5. Was that the Paul Allen owned? Yes. Okay. Rose City Radio. And... What so you were on the street team? Were you running around like actually putting posters up around town? Yes. Wow. In the rain. Yes. <laughs> Tents, bumper stickers, everything in the rain. Setting up and taking down, you know, sound systems and all of that. Did I was you, started at the bottom. Now I'm here. Seriously. Did you drive a wrapped car with Ebro's yes. face on the side? No, no, not Ebro's face. But we drove a Jamma ninety five point five Hummer at nope. the time. Hummers were like brand new and super cool, like street. Hummers, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this was a military size Hummer, though, <laughs> not like the like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was like a cool one. It was like a 1960s, like Vietnam era. Yes, it was Hummer. a legit Hummer. Wow, I ran over a water fountain <laughs> with that thing. Yeah, you ran over a water fountain. <laughs> yeah, I could. You can't. It was high up. I couldn't see it. I just <laughs> drove over the top of it. We are That's, o- o for two with your driving right now. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, I had a really hard time in Portland with my driving. <laughs> so. Uh, did you have to do? Oh man, what was the what was the worst promotion or contest you had to do? Right, like the the one that I always love is that you have to keep your hand on the car for like you know forty eight hours <laughs> just to win like a Nissan Altima. Yeah, I'm trying to think about that. I mean, we didn't do a ton of those. What we did do is like big festivals, like the Rose City Festival. And every year that would happen and it would be raining no matter what. And so people would just be out there spinning a wheel for hours and hours (laughs) and hours and they would win something terrible like a Laffy Taffy or like a sticker or every once in a while there was a decent prize. But it was pretty dull. (laughs) We didn't have a lot of great contesting. Was there a big hip hop community out there? There was definitely a hip hop community. I would say it was big, Mm -hmm. but I think it was it was passionate. Um, somebody who's led the community out there for a really long time is this guy, Cool Nuts, who... I'm sorry? <laughs> yes. His name is Cool Nuts. Mm-hmm. I know. He's cool and also sim- simultaneously nuts oh. at mm-hmm. the same time. Oh, so Hence it's not a descriptor of right. nuts. His Cool Nuts. Yeah. yeah no. Is he's, it with a K or a C? It's with, it's with a C. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's royalty. Really? He's Portland, Oregon hip-hop royalty. Yeah. And uh, so he had a best friend, Bosco, and Bosco was somebody who kind of was able to get out of the Portland scene a little bit, and he was producing for people like E-40, 
He also did the talk box on Kanye West's uh, workout. Wow. wow. So. How did you know, that like, happen? It, it happened because he was involved enough in the industry over time and he was kind of one of the only people that was doing talk box. Hmm. And so people knew that Bosco was like the talk box guy. So he was able to get in and uh, he won a Grammy for that. I guess. That's wild. Yeah, so crazy. Cool. So he's Portland, Oregon royalty. Also Bosco and cool nuts are both. And then there was a group called the lifesavers versatile and jumbo. They were kind of more of your like real quote unquote hip hop, like your quote-unquote Oh, so Ebro loved them. <laughs> you know, I don't really know who he loved from that scene, looking back. Um, Paul but, Allen. Yeah. Well, he loved Paul Allen because he was getting those checks. <laughs> you know Rashid Wallace had a radio show. We did find that out when, when Ebro was on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. He, he had a radio show up there. Do you remember what the name of it was? Oh, man. God, this was so long ago. <laughs> I don't remember. No, I don't. I just know that, like, he, he would have a lot of people come up there computers were missing <laughs> like entire computers were missing um i don't know who the people were that show became like the bane of the existence of the radio station except for paul allen kind of had to give him the show sure. it and was the computers part of, well, and apparently yeah. the computers yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was a mess and uh but it was it was a really good time i learned how to do radio at that radio station well yeah so okay where is it inside you that you know I'm going to go from music to working on the radio and I'm going to progress every step and go from street team to actually inside the building. So I think I just put my head down and decided that I was just going to go with this wave. I didn't know that I was ever going to get into radio and I was never particularly passionate about radio. I didn't grow up like, I'm going to be on the radio one day. I would listen to radio, but it wasn't something that was like calling me from my soul. I kind of thought I would work for a record label, to be honest. That was like You were gonna be a suit. My, yes. That was kind of more my my goal. Because mm-hmm. I went, you know, I went in for marketing, like maybe I would go do marketing at a record label or something like that. In New York or Los Angeles in your mind? Um maybe LA. I have family in LA. Mm-hmm. So that seemed like an attainable place to go. Um but yeah, I never thought I would get into radio. I just was given an opportunity and I was like, let me just exploit this to the fullest extent because if I don't, I'm never going to like get out of here. And I just wanted to get out of Oregon. Yeah. So, and I did. How did you get out of Oregon? I got out of Oregon after I was working on the street team for a while. I did a, a mix show um, on Saturdays for a couple of hours. With Rashid Wallace. <laughs> no, he was not on that show. He was on Sunday nights. And were you Carly Hustle at that point? I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was Carly Hustle because E-40 had a CD out called uh, Charlie Hustle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was the girl version of the E-40 Charlie Hustle, which is actually Pete Rose's nickname. Correct, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's Inception or something. (laughs) Uh, Somebody actually gave it to me at a record shop. Well, and you were in the Rose City. It all comes together. It does. It really does. That's. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) So... I ended up getting an opportunity to do nights and promotion director in a smaller market. That's normally the progression for radio at the time was you would be in a bigger market and Portland was like a top 25 market. Wow. And then you would scale down to a smaller market so you could get a full-time position somewhere and then work your way back up. So that's what I did. Did you care where you went? Uh, Not really. I was just kind of open to, you know, continuing to exploit this dream for all it was worth. Like Ebro gave me an opportunity and I was like, I'm going for it. Could It could have been Ames, Iowa. 
Well, it was shittier than that, probably. I mean, not shittier than that, but it wasn't great. The first opportunity I got was going to be in Bakersfield. That's California. Terrible. Yeah. Then there was an opportunity in Fresno, also equally terrible. <laughs> and both of those fell through, thank God, because I ended up in Salinas, California. Are you familiar? I've heard of Salinas. Right. I don't know much about Salinas. If anything. Salinas, Santa Cruz, Monterey, they're kind of like all in the same area. That was the market that I lived in. Monterey is pretty. Monterey is great. Yeah. And Santa Cruz has the banana slugs. The station was in Salinas, though. So everybody sort of lived in Salinas because otherwise you'd be driving a very long time every day. There's no real freeways that tie this thing together. (laughs) So I lived in Salinas. There were more murders there per capita than San Jose in the same year that I moved there. Well, question. How many of them did you commit? (laughs) Zero. (laughs) Because I would never snitch on myself. Yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your position at this at this Salinas based radio station? I was the night jock. Okay. And I also ran promotions. Night jock like weeknights? Yes, weeknights. You like were the Funkmaster Flex of. I was. Wow. Of Salinas, California. <laughs> yes. That's right. Six to ten, you get everyone leaving to go home. Yeah, it's the commuters. Kids. It's kids listening. Okay. You know, at the time. I mean, this was years ago. This is before music streaming and like you know. And I that, I was at that station when the first MP3 hit my inbox, Whoa. actually. What was it? And I was like, I don't remember what it was, but I just was like, what the fuck? Delete. I just deleted it. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> just just to compare markets, um, Portland's top 25? Yes. And Salinas is? Like 75. Wow. Yeah. Small. So Salinas is like maybe 150,000 people. And how many people were listening to you every night? 150,000 people. Yeah, clearly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Just people in the streets. Well, they did you loved me? But did you act like there were like everybody listening to you? I mean, the cool thing about the signal was it was a grandfathered in signal, which means that you could hear it in San Jose, which was about 45 minutes north. So sometimes those San Jose radio people could hear me. And you'd be like, we got more murders than you. <laughs> <laughs> we're totally more street than you. Because that area, do you know much about the West Coast? I mean, I know that it's there. <laughs> like West Coast prison culture? Uh, yeah. So Soledad Prison is very close to Salinas. Mm-hmm. And Soledad Prison, like, if you know anything about, like, let's say Mexican gangs, mm-hmm. they run shit really well from the inside of the prison outwards. So that's why there was so much going on in the street. So we would have to be very careful about things that we said, things that we played, certain artists that we couldn't play wow. because it would be an issue. Right. So like Little Rob, who's huge in San Diego, he would never play him at my station. He was huge among the quote unquote Mexican population, but not the northern California Mexican population. The southern California was mm-hmm. fine. So, so are you, you learned about a lot of those politics. Are you the person who has to explain that? <clears throat> Um, I'm just the person that makes sure that I don't say anything stupid or give shout outs to anybody that could be inappropriate. You don't know, like people, kids would call up or people would call up and want to give shout outs. And it's like, like, you don't, you're not for sure if you want to shout those people out because you yeah. don't know if you're stepping into like some sort of, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Street like, war. Yeah. yeah. Like you didn't. I mean, you weren't, you, you knew that you yourself were not aligned with any of these people, right. but you didn't want it to be conceit, like uh, perceived like you were. I just didn't want to be ignorant and do anything that would be uh, culturally inappropriate or rub anybody the wrong way. So right. I was just very careful in that climate because it was just 
people getting killed all the time, lots of gang activity. It's just, it's just small town, like similar to like where I grew up in Eugene, like drugs would sweep through that whole city and people would all get addicted to whatever that was. Salinas was that with like gang violence, Mm. like everybody was clicked up with somebody that was just kind of how you survived in that town. So, so you made it, you made it out of Oregon, which was the biggest thing. Yes. Now you're in Salinas. I got to make it out of Salinas. Well, and how long would you give yourself? Uh, I was there for a couple few years before I got an opportunity in San Diego. Were you comfortable there? No. Okay. No. I really liked it because it was, the proximity to the Bay Area was great, and I really liked the Bay Area a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a blast. I would drive there every weekend, go to parties, go to shows. It just felt like at least I was close to a major city. I felt big cities calling me for sure, um, just because there was an energy that you couldn't get in a small town. And San Diego was next. San Diego was next. And what do we know about San Diego besides a lot of military? Yes. And perfect weather, right? Yeah, it's the same. It's 70 and sunny every day. Yes. I was there for seven months. It did not work out for me. Your choice or beyond your... No, it was my choice. Yeah. I just... I I had a boss. She has a notorious reputation. She's not in the business anymore. Did you know this going in? I did know that she had a reputation for being really difficult to work with. Um, But I was like, I need to get out of... Salinas, so I'm just going to take it and figure it out. Kind of what I'd been doing my entire career. So and really, far. you've dealt with, you know, bosses who have done way worse, like throw up right in front of you. So, That's exactly. Yeah. It's exactly right. I'm used to authority figures letting me down at this point. <laughs> so I go, and I was on the morning show there, and I also tracked out middays, and uh, I wasn't getting paid barely anything i was getting paid the same amount of money to live in san diego as i was in salinas salinas was also expensive because it was so close to the bay area that they would try to charge you like bay area adjacent prices um and it's probably way worse now um but i was broke and i was getting treated really badly i think i was really mismanaged the show was kind of a mess it didn't have proper direction and i was like i need to get out of here so i started putting feelers out and Bruce St. James heard about me. He was a program director in Phoenix. He sent Joey boy uh, who was on the afternoon show at that time. And he was like assistant program director, I think, or music director to call me. They're like, Hey, what's going on? We're hearing you're not happy. You know, we have a spot for you here. Do you want to move to Phoenix? I was like, cool. So I got in my U-Haul with my dog and I moved to Phoenix. So So you just kept going South every single time. You just kept going South. I did. Yeah. Yeah. What was the conversation like with uh, the powers that be in San Diego? I just went to her and said, I'm not happy. This isn't working out. So I'm going to Phoenix. Was there any chance that you would have left before you had another concrete job? Probably not at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or else that that would have meant I would have had to go back home. And there was just no way I was going to do that. So I wasn't, and I had no money. I had no savings. Like, the, I didn't have an opportunity to create any kind of a, you know, like, cushion for me to fall back on. But at the same time, you probably felt like you had all this work that you've put in and you felt good about that body of work, right? Yeah, I did. But I think I was still sort of insecure because... I went from a small market to a place that didn't work out for me, and I was like, is this career tanking? Like, what's going on? And how, how well did you know the the radio business to know that, like, a lot of people do have to move around 
a good number of times before they settle into the right job. I learned it fairly quickly that I wasn't alone and that if you wanted to be in this business, you had to pick up and leave all the time and sacrifice and continue to either move your family around if you had a family or continue to just rebuild. So I've been doing that pretty much for 20 years. Mm. Yeah. So you moved down to Phoenix. Yeah. And this is a bigger radio station now than even San Diego, I imagine, right? Bigger than San Diego, bigger than Portland. It's the biggest one. It was, it's a top 15 market. Wow. Yeah. So, like, how does that change your behavior in terms of, like, are you on air? Yes. I was doing middays there. Mm-hmm. Um, just middays. That was it. I just got hired for an air position. So I was on the air four hours a day. That was kind of it, um, which was a breeze. <laughs> and... Are you taking radio calls? Like, you know, like, you know, like we have a we're talking about this topic today. Like, let us know how you feel. Not so much for middays. For middays, you're kind of supposed to just let it chill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just play the records, take some phoners, Mm -hmm. you know, hook people up with like free lunch or something (laughs) and then go on about your merry way. It's strange because I feel like I have a lot of personality and I was in like the most vacuous, vapid slot possible. Mm hmm. Um, and that kind of was lame. So I tried to display my personality in other ways. You were Outside acting of, out. Yeah, I was. How <laughs> <laughs> I always act out. <laughs> it's also a part of my personality. Yeah, you were like starting fires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How so, were you acting out? I was just, you know, I woke up one morning and realized that I lived in a red state. And that freaked me the fuck out. And I was like, let me just go turn this whole bitch upside down. Because I am come from Oregon, and yeah. now I'm living in Arizona. Mm-hmm. If you can think about the more opposite politics, like, it's not possible. <laughs> so I was like, I know that I could essentially, before trolling was trolling, I was queen of the trolls. <laughs> I would just do things to push people's buttons. I would wear things to push people's buttons. I definitely was not probably what they signed up for. <laughs> But people were... Thanks for getting me out of San Diego. Fuck you. Exactly. People were interested in it, though. They were like, okay, this chick's weird and she's different. And I definitely was trying to push the culture, I guess, a bit to accommodate for, you know, liberalism and feminism and, you know, all different kinds of isms. Not Uh, not the bad ones. (laughs) What um, what records were being played in Phoenix? Mm. Well... Like regional records, like you would definitely play a lot of Baby Bash, mm-hmm. okay? MC Magic, who is Phoenix royalty. We're going back to regional royalty <laughs> yeah. here. Um, let's see, lots of West Coast hip hop, of course. Any like, lifesavers down there? No, no, no. <laughs> no, they didn't make it down. Well, okay. So I have a question about. I have a question. It's my podcast. <laughs> um, Every artist always says that their local radio station doesn't support enough. Um, not every artist. Let me let me rephrase this. Most communities will say, "Oh, our local radio station doesn't support the local community enough." Do you feel like one, it's necessary? Well, ne- I guess back then and now, was it necessary then and was it necessary now to support the artists that that you did you support Juice? I didn't know any Jews when no, I was no juice. Oh. <laughs> the rapper, the rapper Juice. Yeah, we know from you're I was like, Phoenix. There weren't any Jews in Phoenix. Um, he was signed to the game. Yes, yeah. Juice. Okay, so there was Juice. There was Willie North Pole. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, 
G-Unit's own. Yeah. There was... So that was weird. At yeah. the time, this dude's Sin Q, there was Rockadala, um, a.k.a. IROC, Phoenix Royalty. <laughs> um, so, yes, our goal was to, at least my goal was, to find ways to support the local hip-hop community. It's always kind of been my passion. Mm-hmm. So I created this, like, Arizona hip-hop coalition and brought all these people together. And it was at the beginning of some really strange activity, getting everybody together. But we had a really powerful meeting at Steel Indian School Park. And uh, I think people was probably still talk about that meeting to this day. All of these different people that would never hang out together came together because they had an opportunity to be heard by somebody from the local radio station. You were Minister Farrakhan. I was. You wow. were, it's yeah. like the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So, and I also started this party with this DJ M2 called Groove Candy, and that also brought all of these different factions out to hang out at the same place. We didn't play local music at that party because we wanted to keep it neutral, but we did play like neo soul, hip hop, funk, reggae. We kept it like very family oriented, like probably just chill, like things that, you know, you would play at your family party. Um, And so it was really dope to be able to like bring those people together. And I don't think that we played probably enough local music on the radio station. However, my whole career, we've never played enough. Um, There's never been enough localization, I think, at any of the radio stations. And a lot of it has to do with how the rating system works. And the other part of it has to do with money and corporate interests and how those two things are hand in hand. How hard was it to learn a new phone number when you went to a new radio station? Sometimes I would say the the number from the station before. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes we would change the number for what one reason or another and you would say the old number. Yeah. Um <laughs> so wacky. Did Those you, flubs. Did you have did you have any mentors that you could rely on if you were in a San Diego or a Phoenix and you're like, yo, I'm drowning out here and you can call someone up for perspective? That was always Ebro. Ebro's kind of been a constant in my career. So if, He just won't go away. <laughs> yeah. Him and also um, Mark Adams, who was the PD program director uh, at my first radio station at Jamma 95.5 in Portland. I could call him. If I was, like, really hitting, you know, like a wall, he would listen to me. Uh, and I think those two guys were pretty significant in my career. And how did Phoenix come to a close? Phoenix came to a close, so I had quit working at Power, which That'll was the radio it. station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I quit there. And actually, I just wanted to explore some other things, so I got into social work for a while. So I was working um, for a while at essentially what's sort of like a halfway house for teenage homeless youth. And then I got a job doing foster care licensing. Wow. And so I was monitoring foster homes. And then I was also teaching music business at Phoenix College. So I was doing kind of that work, more like teaching community work um, and, you know, really working with like disadvantaged youth. Does any part of you at this time miss your old life in radio or are you like, well, this is more meaningful? I didn't miss it because I was still doing weekends at uh, a different radio station. Somebody had wanted to bring me on as a full-timer, and I just said, no, I want to do something else for a while. So I didn't really miss it. I, I found that 
I had a really rewarding and interesting life outside of it. And I think that's what I was looking for was to confirm that there was a life outside of it so that if I ever wanted to get out or go back in or whatever, I wouldn't move and operate with like a fear-based way about Mm -hmm. myself. So yeah, I was not expecting to get back in full time. And then Ebro called me and was like, hey, we have a job at Hot 97. I want you to apply for it. It was the music director position. So one thing about the the foster care and working with disadvantaged youth and and homeless uh, population, how did you, were you able to not take that work home with you? It was hard. Yeah, I did take it home with me. I think it was really difficult. Yeah, because you you learn about things that are happening to people, like unimaginable things. Like this girl was like locked in a cage for like the first four years of her life. And it was outside in the elements and like she was raised by her grandmother and her uncle and there was like abuses happening and she literally had no verbal skills except for like what she could maybe hear from the TV. So like the only thing that she knew how to say was like commercial jingles was really awful so like things like that where you're just not prepared to realize that this actually happens you know that it happens sometimes you'll read a news story or it'll come across your timeline like oh you know this atrocity happened to this kid but like seeing it face to face and being able to like actually you know witness those people in their element and like what they have to go through was really challenging why did you need that at that point in your life I think I just was tired of the music business. I was looking for something that was going to feel like it was more rewarding than playing the same song, you know, a hundred times a week. So that's really what it was. I just, I kind of like to do things that are different. Like if everybody's running in one direction, I'm kind of like running in the other direction. Cause I'm like, okay, that's going to be saturated anyway. Like, let me go see what this is about over here. A waste of time with It's The Real's 12 Days of Podcast is sponsored by the good people at Def Jam Recordings who have a ton of great projects dropping this entire holiday season. You know what song I've had on repeat for the last day and a half? American Dream by Jeezy featuring J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar. The perspectives of Jeezy and Cole especially are so honest to their own journeys. The beat is soulful. And if you can't rock with the line, my president was black, now my president is whack, then you need to really reassess things. This album, Pressure, which is available on all platforms, I'm talking iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, Google Play, everywhere, is the truth. A million features from YG and Kodak Black to 2 Chains to Rick Ross and Tory Lanez and on and on. Go to jeezyshop.com and pick up those dope packages, not those dope packages, but bundles of Jeezy gear exclusively on the website. And if you love rap, I just want to remind you that Jadakiss and Fabulous, our guys, have their collaboration album Friday on Elm Street, which is Fire Flames. Go stream that right now, starting with that intro track produced by the great Ted Smooth, and then hit the Swiss Beats joints like theme music, and then make sure to play that Tiana Taylor track, Talk About It. It's the album we were all waiting for, Friday on Elm Street. Go enjoy that real rap right now. And so Ebro calls you up and offers you a new opportunity. How difficult or easy was it to take? It was kind of difficult because I was just sort of settling into, I I was thinking about moving to Thailand randomly. I was going to go teach English in Thailand. That was one of my goals. And so I was thinking about 
how I would get the certification for that and kind of looking into it. And then he calls me and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, <laughs> moving to Thailand. <laughs> he's like, no, you're not. Um, he's like, no, I have this opportunity in New York. And, you know, if you're interested, you should apply for it. And I did. And the reason that I did was I always wanted to live in New York City. And I think I was always sort of seeking that big city vibe. And I was like, this is an opportunity to move there and have a job and have some kind of infrastructure already. Like I should do this and I can move to Thailand and teach English anytime. I can't take this job anytime. So I decided to sell everything, give away everything that I had, throw away everything else. I moved to New York with six suitcases and I just like rebuilt everything again. Did you drive cross country? No, I took a, I took a plane and just checked six bags and just paid for them. Did you have a place to stay? Um, so Phoenix Royalty, Rockadala, I rock, <laughs> he his sister was living in Brooklyn and basically she let me crash at her pad for like three weeks while I was finding an apartment because I didn't have one yet. And what did you know about Hot ninety seven before because obviously like, you know, Hot ninety seven's been mentioned in like a million songs at this point, but what's the sort of national um impact that a a girl from uh Eugene, from, Oregon. Yeah, Eugene, yeah. Oregon, and a woman from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Like, what, what, what do you know about it? I mean, everybody knows that it's legendary. I think that that's like a given. Everybody knows that you know the birthplace of hip hop is you know in New York, and that this radio station has been narrating that story for a really long time. I think Power had just turned on not to maybe a couple a year or two just before I got there this was when Breakfast Club was like starting to bubble so I was basically coming in in the eye of that storm where I think for a long time it was pretty chill Hot 97 just ran shit Power flipped on they were doing okay but really the function of Power was to take ratings away from Hot so that Z100 could be the number one station that Mm. was it they didn't expect Power to be anything and They didn't really care if it was. Um, I think it sort of accidentally became this, you know, the home of the Breakfast Club. And now Angie Martinez, you know, years later. Um, So I think it was going to be a difficult time. The woman who had my position before, Jill Strada, she was moving to be with family uh, down in Florida. And I think Ebro just needed somebody that was knowledgeable that he could trust that he knew was interested in a real way and culture and invested in that and was willing to come in there and learn and be respectful of that environment and understand what I needed to learn still um, not being from New York and not overstep those bounds and and be as careful and thoughtful as possible Um, and that's what I think I, I tried my best to deliver when I when I moved here. I didn't take well, it lightly at all. Well, okay, so what are those conversations like with Ebro at that time? Because this is your first time actually operating behind the scenes as opposed to yeah. on on radio, and you have to... This is a, a real position of power. Right. Well, well I been, shouldn't say power, because that's right. a, a loaded term. <laughs> but... um. I mean, I had been promotions director. I had been assistant program director. I had been a program director in an interim for a period of time. So I did have some of those, like, quote-unquote, higher-level management uh, skill sets. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I think we didn't really have to have that conversation. I think he just knows me. And so I, I he just let me cook. Mm-hmm. And so the first year, I was just put my head down, did my job, 
observed what was going on around me, kind of just kept quiet. What were your big wins the, the first year? I didn't really have a ton of big wins the first year. I don't really go into positions trying to win out the gate. I try to assess the situation and like see who's playing, how they're playing, how to figure them out, how to psychologically understand them so that I can get things that I want to get out of them in the most constructive way. Is that your attitude coming up here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the time we're done, I'm going to be moving into this apartment. <laughs> and so what did you learn about New York culture and, and New York radio wars? Yeah, I'd been in radio wars before, so I was familiar with that. But obviously, this is a, a much higher level. I didn't really realize how close power was to having their foot on our neck. I think I was literally coming in as that was just beginning to happen. They were very aggressive with digital, very aggressive online. I was always a huge proponent of being online. I mean, chat boards and things like that early on, like AOL Instant Messenger and Yahoo was Instant Messenger and all that. I was there early doing all of the internet stuff and the reason why I think I was so tied to that early is because I was moving around my whole career and the mm -hmm. only thing that stayed the same was like my you know Yahoo instant messenger handle and my black planet page right. you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and things like that right <laughs> I kept moving but like sickness.net which was like a gangster rap website was mm -hmm. still there and I would go and post with my friends talk about west coast rap <laughs> um, so you know I think at the time, Hot was behind the curve. And I was definitely like head of the curve as far as watching what was going on and seeing that happen. But I didn't really have the power to say, hey, this is happening. I didn't want to get aggressive in people's faces about it. So I just sort of sat back and watched how things played out. And as that awareness began to arise, it was inevitable that we had to, you know, turn up well, in the digital part. Well, what percentage of you wants to just like put your head down and focus on the work and what percentage of you has to be aware of who's running behind you? Well, I think it's both. But, you know, I think that the people who were there for years before have a much better idea of the landscape than I do. So I'm not just going to come in there and start like throwing my weight around. I wasn't hired as a consultant to come in and like fix things. I was hired as, you know, a support for Ebro and to just figure out the landscape. I think we started to have very frank conversations and I was able to, you know, talk more candidly about how I felt about things after the first year because I had gained people's trust. Mm hmm. They knew that I could just do the job, that I could get that done. And now I was able to take it a step further and be like, okay, not only can I do the job and do it well, and you trust me now, but now I'm going to tell you this, that, and the third, or now you can give me more responsibilities. Like when I took over Who's Next, for example, which I think was like, that was when my accomplishments, I feel like it hot started to materialize, mm -hmm. was being able to call the shots on those early, be able to curate those who's next uh, lineups and really, I think, see into the future a bit. Yeah. Who were you bringing in for those concerts at SOBs? Uh, so like Chance the Rapper. I remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Early on. Um, that was like right after Acid Rap dropped, like the day it dropped. And I had already been talking with his agent um, prior to that dropping. And we were like, you know, let's talk about bringing him out. But like, let's wait till this drops. Let's see how it's received. Let's, you know, so this the day it came out and I heard Acid Rap, I was like, let's book it now for like next month or two months or whatever. And it sold out really quickly. Um, 
My first, though, was actually Rhapsody. She was my first. Wow. She was my first Who's Next. Um, it it wasn't sold out. Uh, it was maybe 100 people in there. And I learned from that one how to execute better. Which is how? It's about putting together the right group of people um, on the lineup, not just the headliner, but your supporting acts, and kind of just gelling those fan bases so i mean i started to become pretty successful soon after that i mean we had travis scott as a headliner this was years ago this was like five you had kendrick you had schoolboy you had i didn't have kendrick oh and schoolboy happened i think kendrick was if if he was at who's next i think it was before my time i know that schoolboy happened like right before i took it over Mm -hmm. not too far before i took it over um so schoolboy is good I don't think Kendrick ever had a Who's Next. Do you I think w- it's too late for him to do it now? <laughs> I wish that he would. Yeah. yeah. That would be great. We could have nothing but tastemakers in there. <laughs> Opinion leaders, curators. Yeah, and, all the gatekeepers. Know, people who like to build. How did your first summer jam turn out? It was great. What were your first impressions even like walking into Giant Stadium? It was the biggest hip-hop show I'd ever been to. I mean, it's 60,000 people. Bigger than your thing in the park. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Bigger than my thing in the park. Bigger than SOBs. But the thing about it is, is I think if you develop systems for things, no matter how big it is, you can kind of scale it. So I had small systems for SOBs, and then I started helping to take over running the festival stage, which Mm -hmm. is between 15 and 20,000 people in the parking lot. And then I also did all of the work parts and scheduling and graphs and charts for the main stage too so ebro was the one who would run that because it was bigger stakes and people would listen to him Mm. um but i would run the festival and then that the hot 97 who's next but i think that it's again if you have proper systems in place it's quite easy to duplicate those systems and just scale them for for bigger audiences what do you think people don't realize about ebro I think people don't realize that Ebro's really a sensitive guy, or maybe they do realize it, because um, sometimes he tries hard to act like he's not. <laughs> but he's a Pisces; they're fucking putty in your hand, really. <laughs> um, if Ebro really hurts somebody's feelings, he will feel very bad about it. And instead of being apologetic, I think he gets angry because I think he's angry at himself. So I think that's one thing about Ebro that people don't know is that I think he's really sort of a sensitive dude. He's a kind spirited person. He would give you the shirt off his back. Um, And I also think that, you know, he has always been a grand agitator and a troll. Uh, I do think that living in New York has added some layers of uh, grit to him. Um, He was a little more chill on the West Coast, but you can afford to be. Mm-hmm. It's a different world. He's really dealt with things at a high political level in a very powerful position at hot before, you know, obviously the power war came in, trying to then juggle the PD position and the morning show and all that. It was very interesting few years that I was at hot. There was a lot going on, a lot of change happening, and us also trying to like film a TV show, which was that random season. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Ebro's a a really good guy i think sometimes he gets a bad rap agreed so it's a question that we ask every single person who comes up here who has worked at hot 97 where were you when angie martinez announced that she was leaving oh yeah wow okay so 
that fateful day. That was that one hurts still. I was in my office and I got pulled into another office. I think it was me, Rosenberg, Ebro, and the new program director guy that's no longer there. And uh, I think it was like Ebro was like Angie's leaving, and she's and I was like, okay, (laughs) bad. (laughs) And then it was like she's going to power. I was like, no, (laughs) like the knife was in. It was like. <laughs> the twist of that knife, you know. Obviously, you you move from Phoenix to New York City because you want to work with Angie Martinez, right? She's like a legend. I mean, I didn't move from Phoenix, but I understand. You the understand impulse. what yeah. I'm saying, yeah. 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 So you know, I came. I didn't come here to have not Ebro as my boss and not Angie Martinez on in the afternoons. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was kind of gutted about that, and then it was, you know that awkward day she was wearing sunglasses she was really emotional everybody was emotional everybody was in the studio I was in the studio for part of it but for some of it I just like was just listening on the air like from my office because I think I was just overwhelmed um but yeah it was it was lame I'm not gonna lie it was awful like I'm happy for her I think she's done a beautiful job transitioning not only from you know hot to power but her book that's amazing and just a lot of the other opportunities that she's able to get from you know having a wider platform with like an iheart type base and rock nation and everything else um but yeah it hurt what was your relationship like with with flex came in Flex definitely would just call me randomly and ask me strange questions. I think he was trying... Wait, like, like trivia questions? Like... No, I think at the time it was like... We were battling with trying to figure out, okay, this sort of pop dance music is very popular. Do we have to play it on Flex's show? These are the kinds of questions that you ask from a programming perspective. Wait, pop, like uh, like Lady Gaga? Yeah, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. LMFAO? Uh, yes, those kinds of records. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That palette, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my personal ovier. Yeah, so, you know, I think he was, you know, Pitbull and like things like that that are huge <laughs> across you know, gotcha. the street as E100 and at the time 92.3 was playing them. Like everybody was kind of dipping into this space, like Flo Rida and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So obviously. he was wondering if he had to LA it up. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, to stay kind of in the running. Like, is this something that you think that I need to do is kind of what he told me. And I was like, I personally don't think that you should do it. I don't want you to do it. How do you feel about it? And it just became this sort of back and forth. I think he was trying to, to see whether or not I was going to recommend that he play like sellout pop music on hmm. his show. At the same time, with an understanding that like, hey, maybe if you do a 15 minute set here and there, it won't be that bad. Maybe that will help, you know, spike the ratings at the time or whatever it was. I think what you end up settling on is that hot 97 is hot 97 and trends will come and go, but hot 97 needs to be the place where you access hip hop. Um, but at the time, and I think this is a discussion that happens at a lot of radio stations when the ratings come in or as trends come and go, it's like, how much do you have to slip in one direction or another in order to just keep the lights on Mm -hmm. while this trend is happening? And 
I have to wonder, you know, what those conversations are like right now. Mm. <laughs> They're probably even more serious. Um, not so much on the pop and dance side of things, but more on the like, how do you keep up with this SoundCloud world? These records are not friendly to the portable people meters that people are carrying around. None of these tunes, like that rock star record, mm-hmm. I can think in my head, that record probably does not test well mm. on radio terrestrial radio and there's a thousand of records that sound like that they're slow they're trappy that's not a palette of music that really works in a terrestrial space why is that well if you look at like even r&b records for example so like when i was at hot this was a few years ago you would know if a record was working um like a hip-hop record between 250 to 300 spins, you could start to see it test whether it was going to work or not work. And some records would move ahead of the pack and others would slip behind. Um, but with R&B records and any records that were slower and didn't have tempo, 400, 500 spins deep, you would not know whether or not it was working until maybe around there. So you're taking a lot more risk playing those records a lot longer to see if they're going to build. Whereas if you have like sort of a tempo hip hop record, you know, that's probably going to work because it sounds maybe fun. (laughs) You know, it sounds like a party and Mm -hmm. like it it keeps people moving. I think terrestrial radio listeners are not great at uh, listening to slow slow music so this trend of like really slow sort of leaned out right hip-hop is r&b and r&b is hip-hop and yeah there's the lines are going away what is hip-hop anymore Mm -hmm. what does that mean um so yeah i have to wonder what those conversations are like and it has to be challenging to maintain in that space it made ebro pull out all of his hair (laughs) exactly that's why he's bald now Yeah. yeah who shaved their head first you or amber rose so it was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, interestingly enough, so when Amber Rose was in that ludicrous, we know what them girls like, we know what the girls like video, I think yeah. it was called. That was like her first sort of video that people saw her as a bald woman. Because I think before maybe she was wearing wigs. She wore she a wig in, for the Kanye video. Yeah. yeah. So I know somebody, JC, who was, I think, Ludacris's DJ maybe at the time. And he knew me through radio because I think he had maybe been in Phoenix DJing and uh, came to Groove Candy or something. So he saw me as a bald person and he knew Amber Rose through Ludacris. And he hit up Amber Rose and said, hey, there's another bald chick. (laughs) Her name's Carly. She works at this radio station in Phoenix. And so Amber Rose requested me on MySpace. Wow. And she was like, hey, I heard there was another baldy. Like, I want to bald friends with you and so we became myspace friends. Oh, i thought you were gonna be like so i said no <laughs> no i totally accepted her well, did you make her your top eight like no i didn't <laughs> i should have yeah because then i would have really been a thought leader <laughs> but yeah she was kind of competition at the same time bald girl competition no i hear you so once she like really blew up you know we were already myspace friends and myspace was kind of long gone at this point we'd all moved forward uh but every time I see her, she recognizes me, and she's really kind and awesome. always sweet. That's awesome. That's really yeah. great. Um, so you're at Hot 97, and there's a lot of politics and yeah. a lot of um, – seemingly a lot of changeover. Um, when did you know it was the right time for you to leave Hot 97? 
So they were having some management changes, and they this is actually the same reason I left power in Phoenix. Rashid Wallace. Uh, no, that was a different station. <laughs> that was that oh, was right. the Portland, no, that was Portland one. Yeah, yeah that's fine. It's been a lot of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, not jamming, but power. Actually, can we just talk about why is every radio station only one of three adjectives? <laughs> power jamming or hot? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It must test well. I'm sure they've done some sort of test for it. Yeah. So I mean, I've worked for like, all of them. Yeah, it's better than like bummy 93.9. Yeah. <laughs> Right, like whack ninety two seven, like you know. Yeah, there's probably a reason why it's it's a friendly, fun adjective. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there was some management changeover, and uh, so this consultant was hired to come in, and he was kind of going to be the bridge between the old regime and the new regime. So it was like office space. Like the bots Yo. came in, they were like, "Hey, like." It was kind of like that. It was oh. kind of like that in a way. Um, they were bringing in this new general manager, and he no longer works there, by the way. He was let go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were bringing in a new program director who also no longer works there. Mm-hmm. They got bobbed. They did. <laughs> and so he walks into my office, and he's like, you know, the new management, they just like, you know, they don't really know what you do here. Yo, this is so office space. And you worked at Applebee's, which is like with the flair. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I don't really like to talk about my flair. <laughs> so it's a continuum. Uh, I was like, okay, they don't know what I do here. I was like, well, they're going to find out because I'm going to not work here anymore. Damn. <laughs> That's so, what you said? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. I so said good. it in my head. <laughs> and then the next day or two, I presented them with my two-week notice. Wow. I first went to Ebro and I said, look, I'm not trying to, you know, run out on you, but you're no longer the program director here. I came here to work for you. Now there's going to be a new program director. I don't like what's happening. It's not working for me. So I'm going to leave. He was like, are you sure? And I was like, yes. He was like, okay. Did Ebro know what you did? (laughs) Yes. Okay. And I think in the back of his head, he was like, these people are morons, probably. He didn't say that to me. He said it in his head. I think in his head, he was like, knew all of the things that I did. I was kind of the glue that was keeping a lot of things together. And I wielded a great amount of respect from people because I always delivered. And yeah, I just, I couldn't work somewhere where they didn't care to investigate what I did and instead came into my office like you should be lucky that you work here because they don't know what you do it's like no if you don't value what I bring to the table and you're not willing to come in and ask me about it or ask somebody else then it's just not going to work for me it was very millennial Mm -hmm. high key millennial (laughs) and how does Jamla get into your life so after I left hot I was just sort of like floating around on my savings and uh, Ninth hits me up and says, hey, you know, I know you left hot. Well, you want to come work with us? We're, we need like somebody to do some foot traffic for us in New York. We're just, we're hitting a wall with rap. Like we need to, not with rap, but with Rhapsody. Rhapsody yeah. Yeah. Like we, we need to be able to have somebody up there that's like making some shit happen for us. I was like, sure, of course. So we negotiated something. And uh, the funny thing is about a month later is when Kendrick called Rhapsody and was like, hey, I want to put you on to Pimp a Butterfly, basically. And you were like, oh, problem solved. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, my job is going to be cake. (laughs) 
<laughs> so once that all went down, um, I helped them put together like a proper press run for her. It's not something that I'd ever done before. I'm not a publicist or a PR person. Um, nice people, but I would never want to do that for a living. And uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, used Rhapsody as, you know, as talented as she is and also with the fuel of the Kendrick situation to come up with a great plan. So we just ran her through every media outlet in Was New York. Was it just like payola? <laughs> no. What do you mean? Of course just, not. just slide the bag under the table. No. Yeah. Not paying for radio spins. <laughs> Though DJ Enough did give her some spins and he she did not pay for those. She he did it because it was the right thing to do. Yes. Yes. So um that seemed like a very fruitful relationship and something that you can hang your hat on and felt good, but you weren't there forever. No. You got a job working at Apple. Yes, I work huh. at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Apple all apples I to the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, you guys are drawing a line that I never even noticed. Your Wikipedia page is going to be crazy after this. So, so how yes. does that? How does that? How do you get on their radar? How do they get on your radar? How did? How did you know it was happening? Well, it was Ebro again. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, first it was Bozema. So Bozema wanted to hire me after I left Hot to work for Beats Music. In the marketing department. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed with her and I interviewed with Ian Rogers, who's like a big Beats Music hotshot. Did it like via satellite with him because, of course, he's like in Rome or something important at the time. And uh, I was going to get that job. And then Apple came in and bought Beats Music. And so they did a hiring freeze. So Bozma at that time was still kind of even figuring out like what her role was going to be now that the Apple piece came into effect during which time they were trying to hire for a global retail position and uh, it would be like managing different events around all the stores in Apple. And so I interviewed for that at Bozma's recommendation hmm. and I didn't get that job. Would you I also like that job? didn't want that job. Okay. Yeah, 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 I didn't want it. Yeah. It was like traveling like 40% of the time and I just... I, I'm, a, I'm getting a little too old for that. Maybe if I was in my 30s, but then you kind of like really need a lot of I think experience to have a job like that so you're trying to get somebody who's older and tenured mm -hmm. to like want to travel like an 40. old soul <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know who that person is yeah. but whoever they are they got the job congratulations <laughs> I, I did seemingly they have a better driving record than you <laughs> exactly I'm sure they do my driving record is pretty bad <laughs> so uh anyway um, that fell through, and then uh, I was just, you know, doing hustle bow tie and mm -hmm. doing some content for this website, and uh, just trying to keep it together. And Ebro called me. It was like, "Hey, Apple's gonna have a radio station. I know this sounds crazy. I don't have a lot of details, but someone's gonna call you and interview you." And I got interviewed, and then I eventually got hired, and I was under an NDA because no people, nobody knew about Apple Music. They didn't know about Be Beats One. Yeah, how long did the how long did you have to keep people in the dark for? Um, it was about three months. Well, you were paid those three months, though. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. that's, that's a long three months to not tell anybody like what you're working on. Yeah, no yeah, it is. It is. And it's also, you know, that's about how long it was when we found out that Beats 1 was happening to when it went on the air. Like, they turned that around very quickly. It was a complete crunch, um, but it was pulled off. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, how does your perspective change because this is now a global radio station as opposed to a 
uh, you're not in Salinas anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're not. So, like, you know, how do you cherry pick um, talent? Because that's a different sort of mindset. Yeah. So we in all three markets that feed up into Beats One, which is L.A., London, and New York, kind of got on the ground and to try to figure out who was going to be on the air. Obviously, Ebro had already obtained this um, anchor position. And so, you know, we just were throwing names around and like I was able to get Crystal on board, which was really cool. Um, obviously, she's from the Reed, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. part of loudspeakers. You're right. familiar with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, got her, you know, some checks. And I think she was definitely like solidified in the podcasting world and was definitely starting to make some moves but I think that it was a good time for her to have some extra checks like now she definitely doesn't need those checks I feel like mm-hmm, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know she doesn't need like an Apple contractor check here and uh, there. Everybody does. Right. Well maybe yeah. she does. Yeah. yeah. But at the time I feel like it probably was fairly clutch like to get her because I think now she, her ascension has like been really pronounced since then. Um, but yeah, you know, I think Ebro wanted to bring Loki in and he's one of, uh, our, so you our did not want to get Loki in. Well, I did want to get Loki in, but it wasn't my idea. So I'm trying to give people credit for their ideas. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm, you know, I want, I want Loki to understand who's in his corner. That's who's right. Not. That's right. Loki knows that I am in his corner. I was the one that worked with him on the air early on. I was coaching all of the talent and trying to get them, you know, to be the best they could be. Mm-hmm. As a former air talent, I was uh, coaching Loki. And so, yeah, what you hear now is a uh, part of my hard work. There you okay? go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, Loki came in. And we had, you know, a few other folks that came in. And it's been a good opportunity for people who didn't do this kind of radio to kind of learn the structure of radio it's different because it's not hot 97 radio it's beats one aesthetic which is i think leans a lot more of like a uk aesthetic Mm -hmm. yeah you have a lot of zane low yeah Mm -hmm. lots of zane low um and you know him being kind of the creative director of it it's his vision and his vision i think also stems from like his experience at like bbc and things like that so yeah it's it's been great to learn a new sort of way of looking at radio and it's really radio but it's they're calling it a stream you know it's a live stream (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because radio i guess on a certain level that term has become a bit antiquated Mm -hmm. right so yeah i work for a streaming live a live stream platform a global live streaming platform (laughs) (laughs) we've been building this plan i think everybody in this new millennia is trying to figure out like what yeah, we're what doing do you call? nobody knows you know every, yeah. you have to come up with new names for things new ways to describe things like you know what are what are genres now how mm-hmm. do you name them do you name them like th- this, these are all things that we're trying to figure out you should start calling it jam and apple or like <laughs> hot apple or something jap a lot yeah <laughs> yeah do you feel like you had to step outside of this giant corporation that you work for and voice your own views through a podcast and that's why you started brutally honest yeah absolutely yeah i think not being on the air has been was sort of difficult for me at hot because i'm an air personality kind of by trade um but it wasn't as difficult because i was able to sort of outwardly express things in different ways like the lineups for who's next or you know the lineups for festival stage i felt 
like people knew my work, whereas I think I didn't feel that as much at Apple. Um, just because it is a big corporation and a lot of things are very quiet and secretive. That's just the nature of the company. And so it's not a lot of like rah-rah, sis, boom, bah. And uh, I'm, I've always been sort of a behind-the-scenes person. A lot of people have not known what I've done behind the scenes. Um, even when I was on the air, I was, you know, doing work like in programming and stuff like that. But I think that I just needed an outlet to express myself because I felt like I was just like disappearing into the wallpaper to a certain degree. And I think that also comes with being a new mom Mm -hmm. and what that identity looks like and how do you flesh out that new identity. uh, Well, especially when your child is a viral star. She is a viral sensation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That video is still going around. There's a little video of her peeking out from underneath a comforter. (laughs) And it's really... With like, you know, 300,000 like retweets or something. Like it's... It's crazy. Yeah. And on Facebook too and on Instagram, it's everywhere. Has anybody recognized her in person? No, but people recognize her dad. They're like, oh, are you Harp's dad? <laughs> yeah. Is Harp friends? Is is Harp uh, MySpace friends with Amber Rose yet? She's not. No, oh, unfortunately, well. she she'll have to earn that coolness. It took me a long time. <laughs> um, she can't have it all overnight. How has being a mom changed you? I would say it's made me more aware of things for on like a structural and generational level. Um, I think that also comes with like my age colliding at the same time. I just turned 40 not that long ago. So you come of a certain age. I think for a long time you think I still have time. I still have time. I still have time. I'm still young. Like I haven't attained this goal or this goal or this goal, but like just, you know, keep working and it'll happen. And then there comes a point in time where maybe you have a kid or you turn 40 or you have both of those things happen at the same time and you're like wow maybe I don't have as much time as I thought I definitely have less time like I'm a mom and I'm a careerist and I feel like if I'm focusing on one it's hard to focus on the other if I'm focusing on the other it's hard to focus on like it's just this constant sort of tightrope balancing act and um so yeah, I think that there are certain limitations. Maybe they're self-imposed, but I think some of them are just realistic that you confront when you're in that position. Mm-hmm. And it made me really look at generational wealth and like where people come from and how I can give my daughter more of a leg up so that she's can be farther along before I was. I, I didn't come from anybody in the music business. I didn't come from money. I came from Eugene, Oregon, and now I'm in New York. I didn't grow up here. I didn't have like somebody, you know, getting me an internship somewhere when I was 20. I I literally built this not myself with the help of other people who believed in me and rebuilt it several times over. In my head, I think I want my kid to be able to at least access a lot of things that I didn't access until later earlier so it gives her a leg up if that, if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah you may work for apple but that's very 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 444 exclusively on title of you <laughs> totally it is but i and i think you know i i'm learning it earlier um than 48 years old jay-z mm-hmm. to feel a little longer but Damn. women apparently mature faster than men shots fired <laughs> um well, congratulations on a great 40 years so far. I mean, it's, it's really an incredible journey. And Thanks. 
we're so happy to have seen a lot of that in the time you've been in New York. So. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. This has been a, a really fun time. I'm proud to be part of your, I think, is it 12 days? Yeah. Of, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> is it 12 days of Christmas? Of podcast. Of podcast. Because yeah, you guys yeah. are Jewish. Yeah. yeah. You, I, you do you try to support the Jews. Yeah. I know I do. I try to look out for the Jews. Um, for I, One of the coworkers uh, at my job brought in like a little Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And um, I made sure that everybody felt comfortable with that. So, you know. Did you see how horrible our <laughs> lobby looks with all this stupid Christmas shit? I saw that. Do you guys feel offended? Yes. Yes. But, yes. like, not, not as Jews. Yeah, just no. as, like, an aesthetic know, sort of people thing. People who live in, yeah. a, in, a, in this fine building of ours. <laughs> it's so horrifying. <laughs> and yeah. it's one guy who lives in the lobby. Like, he lives in an apartment that's, like, not really an apartment. Right off there, he... He, like, went to Party City and just, like, threw some shit on the walls, and now it's there. Like, that was never the case in the other years that we've lived here. It's just ridiculous. I think you guys need to, like, Hanukkah it up down there. Yo, oh, that's what we should we do. Should, yeah. Just, yeah. We should it's... throw some oil over it and then burn it down. <laughs> wow. All right. Or you could go to Party City and get some paper dreidels and stick them to the wall. You know, we all have ideas. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. Well, I just want to be able to come back to this fine... Oh, yeah. thank you very Market much. Market value. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Carly. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real, day four of the 12 days of podcast. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us, we're It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, there's so many episodes to listen to. It's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. If people want to find out where they can get tickets for our next live show happening at SOB's here in New York City on January 10th, 2018, where can they go? You can go to itstherial.com, buy your tickets today, and I say tickets with a pluralized S on the end. (laughs) Go get your tickets today. If you want to listen to old episodes of our podcast or even new ones, you can always go and search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real on iTunes. We are also on SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. If you want to find any of our episodes ever created, just search for It's The Real on the internet. Something will come up. There's a lot of material out there. You can also find us on Facebook at It's The Real, Twitter at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real. We are also on Snapchat at It's It's The Real and Twitch at It's The Real It's The Real because It's The Real was taken and, you know, fuck these people. Go to Spotify right now for our music and stream Sugar High featuring Currency and Smoke Dizza. 500,000 plays! We want to grow this podcast. Our aim for 2018 is to double our audience. We love our audience, but we want to double up. So here's what we're going to do, guys. We want to shout you guys out, and we're hoping that you will then in turn shout our podcast out to one other friend. So put someone else onto a waste of time with It's The Real. We know it starts with us. And so that's what we're going to do right now. Jeff, who do you want to shout out? I want to shout out like eight people. Okay. Who commented on our announcement that we were going to be playing in New York City. Yes. So I want to shout out the underscore Jordan Rules. I want to shout out Mouse Jones. Mouse Jones, who is probably the second funniest person that we know. Right. Right after Officially Ice. Yes. I want to shout out Brianna. I want to shout out Hey Phil Chang. I want to shout out Antony uh, Jebre. I want to shout out The Final Project. The Final Project, by the way, who is 17 years old. Okay. And seems to be every single place where every rapper goes in New York. Really? Yeah, he was just in Miami. He was buying shoes. He was at the thing that we were at where uh, it was Upscale Vandal and Biggs 
and Andrew Martinez and Lenny S and who am I forgetting? Clark Kent. They were all in conversation talking about the new Rockefeller Air Force Ones. Right. Final Project was sitting next to me being 17 years old. Right. I also want to shout out Jay Omega from the Officially Street Podcast shout and Sai Year from the Officially Street Podcast who I know will be in the building. Jeff, I want to shout out our friends over at Genius Insanul and Beefred who both reached out to us to say that they appreciated us shouting out, well it was us and Naomi and everyone else at the round table for shouting out Genius and the video work, the dope video work they've been doing this past year, we're talking about the Verified series, the Deconstructed series, a lot of different videos that they've put up, and they have a very, very exceptional selection of videos on their YouTube channel. Check them out. Shout out to our friends over at Genius, Beefred, and Insanul. Jeff, we're back tomorrow with Fafu. Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Right. This episode of the 12 Days of Podcasts has been sponsored by the good people of Def Jam, who just dropped Jeezy's Pressure on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, and on JeezyShop.com. Go listen to This Is It, Track 5, That Song Is The Shit. See, Jeezy doesn't even need features on his best songs, but speaking of features, we've got a whole bunch coming up on the 12 Days of Podcasts. Tomorrow, we've got Fafu, who's got stories about Puffy, Prince, and the Blue Man Group.